time in 2020 for the first time since the start of the century gun violence surpassed car accidents to become the leading cause of death for americans under the age of 18. so let's take a look at how this happened and how it did not affect all kids and teens equally i'm going to show you this in 2019 before the pandemic uh over 1700 kids and teens were killed by guns by 2021 that number grew by 50 percent it's now over 2500 and this impacts everyone the data shows that it does not impact folks equally. In 2021, black kids were about five times more likely to die from gunfire than white or Hispanic kids. And with a stark 11.8 gun deaths per 100,000 children and teens, compared to just 2.3 deaths in white and Hispanic kids, and less than one death per 100,000 of Asian children and teens, that is a massive racial divide. And there are also racial disparities in how young people experience gun violence. In 2021, the overwhelming majority of gun deaths among black kids were homicides, 84%, while just 9% were suicides. For white kids, that was reversed, with just a quarter being homicides and 66% being suicides. And remember in 2021, many schools were still doing remote learning. So this data gives us a much clearer picture of gun violence in America and how youth experience outside of the mass school shootings that often dominate the headlines. Thanks for watching our Hey, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of You and the Law podcast show. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show, Virgil Green. And as always, the bearded guy sitting next to me who looks like a professor <laughs> uh, goes by the name of Chief Swaggy. Swaggy, Swaggy one. You know what, Virgil? Uh, I have my uh, one of my dearest friends, dearest men mentors. I'm not going to. I'm not going there with you today, but uh, how you doing, man? I mean, you, hey, you're the celebrity, man. You were, uh, man, you're the celebrity, man. You're on Fox and Friends, and I, I want to say this, man, and I know we kid around a lot, but you handled yourself extremely well and professional, and you did not get caught up in that, in that mess and let them hem you up. You were very, very professional, very eloquent with what you said the other day. So I just wanted to say that to you, man. Yeah, appreciate it, man. That, that means a lot coming from my big brother, man. You know, so, so yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it, it was an opportunity, man. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you didn't think it was a good idea because of the show, Fox, yeah. Fox News and, you know, Fox Friends, uh, because of the uh, the narrative that they were using behind uh, New York Mayor Mayor Adams about the the influx of, of uh, what's going on with it, with the immigration laws and the influx of of uh, people from from uh, south of the border, uh, how they're being bused 
throughout the country and especially in New York. And so when they reached out to me, I thought it was a perfect opportunity to for people to hear another uh, side of of, uh, of the spectrum. And it's not to uh, to it's to take the politics out of it, Keith, uh, because oh, we're yeah. dealing with people who are humans. And and I really I don't like to use the word migrants. Uh, these are these are families uh, that have uh, sons and daughters. They're just trying to to come here to the United States to have a better life to get a for the kids to get an education. And we needed to to take the politics out of it. So I just took the opportunity to to use that platform and uh, uh, hopefully, you know, because the other two, uh, they were, you know, obviously re Republicans. They were and, ready. Uh, yeah. They were ready. Yeah. Yeah. They were. And, and I didn't go down that road. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so the one of the positive things came out of that is that, Hey, you know, there may be another opportunity to, uh, to do another show. So, mm -hmm. you know, well, you got I, I, I will, I will tell you this, I will not be like somebody else. Anyway, um, <clears throat> not you, but somebody else. I know you're talking about. Uh, I tell you, we, uh, man, we got an amazing show today. You know, you and I, we talk and uh, we uh, talk about topics that we believe that are very uh, vital to to the nation right now. And I will tell you, the the young lady that's on the that's on the show today is amazing. She has a story to tell. Um, Ms. Joyce Rayner, who's the executive director for Center for Helping Hearts, Healing Hearts, I'm sorry. Um, uh, I met Ms. Rayner when I was in uh, Little Rock as Achieve. We met and uh, developed an amazing friendship and also partnership, especially when it comes to victims advocacy. Uh, I think within the first two to three minutes of listen, listening to her speak, I think the listeners are going to understand uh why this is why she's on the show today to talk about this topic. So, Ms. Joyce, I want to say thank you for being here. Um, you know, we um, we keep it real and we realize that right now there is a struggle in the nation uh, with under with people understanding why the love, why the love of guns. Uh, this violence thing is nothing new. Uh, it has increased. We know that uh, we know that there's more people killed by gun violence in the nation than accidents or any other any other uh, causes. And so I wanted you to, because you see so many of these, the, the families of these victims, and I want you to tell your story of, of how you got started and, and, and how you continue to, what you continue to do uh, in order to bring attention to the, um, the gun violence and and how do we how do we minimize it and how do we how do we address it and how do we get people on the same page? So, Miss Joyce, I appreciate you. Go right ahead. Let the go on and impress these people because I'm telling you, I'm telling the listeners, you are going to be impressed. Uh, well, thank you for uh, that invitation uh, introduction, rather, and I hope it wasn't a, a false buildup. Uh, of me, but uh, I do uh, thank you for always for the opportunity to speak to on this particular subject. And uh, Chief, um, as you know, um, and I, I talked about this this morning, my journey started over 23 years ago um, when I was, uh, I worked for the 
Little Rock Regional Chamber of Commerce. Uh, so I was in corporate America and um, working with disadvantaged businesses and trying still then helping the downtrodden. But um, sometimes, uh, you know, and sometime in our jobs, we have to help them sort of on the down low. You know, uh, we got a real, we got a job that everyone sees, but uh, under the table on the side, we have to make sure that uh, the people, the underserved uh, are attended to, their attention is given to them. But um, as many folks know here in Arkansas in 2001, uh, I guess everything was with my life um, um, sort of came full circle and I was exposed to so much more than I ever thought I would be. Um, you know how you hear about crime all the time uh, in your city, in your state, in your world. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't care, but it's not directly affecting you. I learned in 2001 that all crime directly affects me. Um, when my oldest son, Charles Rayner Jr., was a victim of a homicide in 2001, January 5th, 2001, um, 20, at the age of 23, he was shot um, by two other black males, um, single gunshot wound to the back of the head. Um, they tell me death was instant, uh, 357 Magnum. I don't even know. I didn't even know what a Magnum 357 Magnum looked like uh, prior to that. And I'm a country girl. I grew up in the country. But life as I knew it changed forever uh, on that day. Um, just like so many other victims of crime or survivors of crime, you know, you go through all these emotions, all these what they call stages of grief, you know, that shock and denial all the way um, to um, hopefully one day acceptance, you know, uh, resolution for it. But there was a lot of things that happened prior to uh, uh, us getting to this point. Um, you know, in our journey, and I say our because it's more than just me, you know, family, friends, and um, thank God for all of those individuals, family, friends, community leaders, um, I was, even in the darkest day of my life, I was still blessed to have friends, uh, friends in high places, low places, wherever, you know, um, that uh, I can find them uh, who somewhat picked my life up and, and carried it on. And I didn't even know I was being carried many of times. Um, we were joking earlier about all the different chiefs of police that, that um, I have been fortunate enough to um I guess be under there uh, or work with their administration. Uh, that was like six chiefs ago. Okay, that when when the crime occurred, and uh, I believe Chief Johnson was the chief at the time. Um, you know, I just mentioned my son was killed through uh, a gun violence. Same thing. Things that are happening today. Gun violence. We hear so much of it. I um, as I was transitioning. The first year, and I remember talking to some individuals uh, from uh, from the faith-based community, a community base, and even law enforcement. Because first thing, you know, when you uh, have survived the crime and and you're looking for answers, uh, looking for why me, why now, why this, you want to talk to people, but at the same time, you don't want people to think you're crazy, you know, for having a change of of direction. 
Uh, and during that year, I got to change the direction. And that the main direction was from, a, I guess, the thing that really inspired me was a mother who had lost a child uh, to gun violence. And she said to me, Miss Rainer, I'm sorry for your loss, but you got everything and I got nothing. I couldn't even imagine where she was talking about it first. How in the world I lost a son, my oldest of two black boys uh, was dead. She said I had everything and she had nothing. And that's why so many victims of crime feel right now. They got they didn't get the attention. Um, my son's murder uh, made statewide news, you know, uh, people were vigorously looking for his killers. Okay. Um, they had an idea who did it, but you know, at the time arrests hadn't been made. Uh, I was friends with the chief of police. I was friends with the attorney general. I was friends with all of those folks. And that's I remember her saying that, uh, you got everything and I got nothing. She simply say, no one showed up. Um, and chief, you know, um, uh, chief Humphrey, you know, um, sometime it take commit. No, not sometime all the time. It take commitments from the top. You were my, you were my chief. It take that commitment from the top. It's a commitment from, uh, someone actively pursuing, um, individuals out there, someone, uh, putting a lot of resources behind, you know, what they said. You know how when those families, when you went to meet with them and then you wanted something to happen, you wanted someone to make that connection immediately. So it took a lot of the handholding. And I got that where so many other individuals and to that end, um, that's where the Center for Healing Hearts and Spirits was birthed. It, I had no idea what the direction of the center was, how it was going to go, uh, because uh, I truly believe it was a divine um, inspiration, but at the same time, uh, the I guess the carnal part of me was wondering, how am I going to live? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to do all these? But at the same time, it was like a voice from the wilderness crying, someone need to do something. And I believe, and, and I, I truly believe this, Chief, it took the murder of my son to ensure the young men who were arrested were off the streets because they had done those things before, okay? So to that end, um, good can't come out of bad. I'm, you know, um, the program was birthed. Um, and, you know, uh, where we are today went from just an idea, volunteers um, uh, running the program to be 12 employees strong today. We're in 25 counties out of 75 in the state of Arkansas. And we're working every day providing those direct victim services because I truly believe, you know, misery does love company, but company doesn't have to be miserable. So to that end, we need to find a way uh, to deal with this crime, um, and especially the gun crime. Chief, I hear every day, um, active shooter training. We need active shooter training. We need it in our schools. We need it in this. I truly believe just the contrary. We need gun safety training because we can't stop people from, unfortunately, we can't stop them from buying 
um, these guns. Um, legislatively, they're not doing anything to stop them from buying the assault weapons. So we've got to find a way to shore up our homes and our communities and, and do some things as relate uh, to gun safety. And also, we know, we can't legislate people's hearts. Right. That's a big one. Can't legislate their hearts. So to this end, we've got to find another solution. You know, you know, Miss Joyce, uh, I'll tell you, uh, thank you for that. And I think people uh, now understand why we uh, you're here today. Uh, what is the fascination with gun? You know, you being the director of uh, Center for Healing Hearts and and you being I know you've been on a lot of committees. You and I have talked, you, you, you know, we talk about uh, uh, domestic violence advocacy and things like that. But what what do you think, you know, as the as the um, mother of a, uh, of a a young man who who died at the at the hands of two people with a gun? What is the love? What's behind this love for guns? Um, you know, we talk about the Second Amendment, and 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 I don't I don't read the Second Amendment the way that a lot of people do. I, I get it. I, I I'm a believer in the Second Amendment. I believe people should have guns should have the right. But I do think that we have we have overstepped what we you know we focus on that people's rights, people's rights, people's rights. What is this love with guns? What do you what do you think? You know, I don't know if it's always the love. I don't know if it's if it's love per se. Or fascination. Um, or what or folks said fascination or whatever the words they use. But I know individuals educated specific positions in the community or whatever that say we need stronger you know we need to we need those gun laws we need it legislated but they haven't but i own an assault rep weapon you know they would say but i own one I, well why do you own one when you're against that what what why, why do you think you need one well i think that we all need to be armed you know I, you know, somehow we use the Bible for everything. Eye for an eye, you know, you know, whatever. Um, well, the other people, folks will say, they're arming themselves. It's going to be a civil war. What are we looking like? What are we going to look like? We're not armed and they are armed. And, you know, I mean, all types of answers like that. Uh, I've got to be protected. One thing I do know for sure if you have one and this situation arrives, you're going to use it. There is no if, ands, buts about it. Um, one of the things, Chiefs, that I did um, before COVID, I visit some of the correctional facilities. They asked me to come out uh, to maximum security facilities and uh, do reconciliation and forgiveness classes and life skills okay so a lot of those individuals that i talked to have committed heinous acts you know from um rape molestation to um capital murder first degree murder etc you know and i talked to so many of them you know most of those were that i visited were african-americans and you know in little rock and in our state when you look at our statistics you know, I looked at last year, there were like 81 homicides. 
81 homicides yep. you know, per capita here that is epidemic that's an epidemic proportion yep. 81 probably i think about 60 plus 60 plus were us against actually, us. probably actually probably more than that miss joyce right us yeah. against us i mean a couple of them they said weren't identified so you know i'm giving them right. that whatever right, right. we're not identified and very few other races okay but when you look at that and how easily accessible they are you know it's like you can go to the liquor store and buy a gun you can go uh to the car wash get your car wash get a gun you know uh so everyone that we know they say we shouldn't have these guns on the streets. But if you turn around, most of them have the same guns. So you know what's funny? If I if I may, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this real quick. So I was at a I was at an FBI executive training in Virginia, and we went out, we were at a we were doing like a, a ropes type course of uh, uh, team building. And so we just had a we had a uh, a second amendment attorney there. That's what he focused on, Second Amendment. And, uh, you know, everybody's bouncing, talking around things. And I say, I just I just have a question. And so this was a pretty diverse, this was a pretty diverse group of men, female, you know, males, female chiefs uh, from all over the world. And I just asked, what is the love of guns? You know, as police, as federal, state, county, municipal police chiefs, what I'm hearing is here is that we have this fascination with guns. I mean, we know that in our line of work, we have to carry them. That's part of our uniform. We understand that there is a possibility we may have to use them. But I said, what is the, you know, out of work, off work, what is the love for uh, long rifles? You know, semi-automatic, fully automatic. And one guy said, this one guy asked, man, have you ever shot one? I say, I've never shot a fully automatic. He goes, man. It's just a rush, man. It's because it's fun. It's fun. You know, I mean, everybody ought to do it. It's fun. And I'm I'm looking like, okay, but what's the purpose of it? You're telling me it's fun, but what's the purpose of it? It's just fun, man. It's just fun. And and I'm I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be a better, better reason because there's a lot of things that are fun, but you don't you don't want to make a habit of it and you don't support it all the time. Yeah. You, you know, Ms. Rainer, I wanted to uh, bring this uh, into the conversation. Uh, you know, we've all heard about what happened with the Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies basketball player, John mm -hmm. Moran, you know, flashing the gun around on Instagram. Here's somebody who didn't come from that type of a background. Uh, you know, obviously, I think he went to private school. He, uh, he's, not, he, he's not from the he, hood. He's he not from the he ain't from the, hood. from the hood. He's trying to be from the hood, but here he is flashing these guns around on social media. He has a he has thousands and hundreds of thousands of young black uh, boys who look up to him. My own grandson, uh, when when they came to Oklahoma City a couple of years to play the Oklahoma City Thunder, he wanted to go to the game, and my daughter got tickets, and I took him to the game because he was uh, that was one of his favorite basketball players. So when you have a player like that who has a platform that he does and here he is flashing guns around and everybody is coming to his defense to say, oh, he didn't commit a crime. Well, but he is a brand in the NBA 
and these young kids look up to him. And so when you talk about what is his, what is, what is the love of guns for him to be in a position that he is in with so much money, but here he is not using his platform in a positive manner, but in a negative manner. And, 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 in Little Rock, as you know, I mean, there's a lot of gun violence with young youth in Little Rock. It, what is, what can parents do to uh, to make to to make sure that their kids don't fall into that? Uh, I'm gonna say into that trap. Well, you know, first of all, um, as young kids, little kids, I mean, parents are doing better, but first thing they used to buy their little boys was a little hoster and whatever. So I yeah. think a lot of it, it, it makes them feel like, um, it, I think it's a status thing, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, you know, I think about jaw and I think about some other young athletes. First of all, one thing I want the whole world to know, they still kids. They may have arrived as far as playing in the NBA and so forth. They are still young children. Okay. I mean, he's young. He's, he is young. 23. Uh, he was uh, probably never had an opportunity to do any of these things. Number one. Uh, and now it's, it's like, he's going back and feel like he's recapturing something. One of the things that I learned a long time ago, and uh, it's had to make me look at, athletes differently okay um when i worked for the chamber um we had um you know big razorback fan i am okay and when the razorbacks won uh the national championship in 94 okay they were young guys you know they're in college they they won the national championship happy the whole world you know when they play when they mess up folks fuss at them and when they win they on top of the world they're good with everyone. Well, I did a parade. Our our um, um, chamber did a parade. I was in charge of the parade for the Razorbacks. These young men we've been watching on TV, proud of the whole black coach, black young men. Okay, and I'm just really proud. It was the saddest day of my life because I was in charge of those young men, giving them instructions: stay in the cars, do whatever you know, trying to keep it orderly. It was the most dysfunctional thing. People on the outside didn't know it. But the the pressure we put on these young children, because that's all they are. They're kids. I had to start looking at these um, sports teams, especially the young ones, the ones that are just coming out of college or just going, whatever, differently. Because they're still kids, put one of your children in that frame. Put your young man or your woman in that same position with all of this, all of a sudden fame, uh, all this glory. What happened? They do some stupid things over and over again. So that's the first thing that I want to say. Um, we got to train them. We've got to uh, do a better job because sometimes some of them are so sheltered. Uh, when they get an opportunity, uh, they literally, they, they go wild. Yeah. But, it, it, go ahead. Let me say, let me say this though, Virgil. Just on that point, I'm sorry, Virgil. I don't. I'm not. I, no, you did. No. But but this is the thing, Miss Joyce. I want I want to say this, Virgil, to the listeners. I know what you're saying. You're right, uh, and everybody knows that that 
a male does does mature slower than a female. That's mm-hmm. that's fact. That, that's just that's proven fact. I'm telling you, as a male, I know I've been there, still maturing in some ways, but still slow. Yeah, I, I will admit that. Uh, but <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, it's at what point do you not say this boy has lost sixty million dollars? Mm-hmm. And, and he's gonna lose more. And he's done. He, he okay. So the first time everybody forgave it, but you do it again, and you know that you live in a city that's violent. Why? What is your? What is your fast? And, and that's what I'd like to ask him if I could. What's your? What was your fascination with this? Why are your fascination with this gun? Um, everybody's blaming everybody else but this young man. They're blaming his friends for videoing it. Right. Uh, now your friend, no. your friend didn't make you show the gun. And they're blaming his friends for you know, but but I'm but I'm saying is with this common sense when you know you live in a city that is impacted by violence, violent crime, guns, and yeah. and why not be that spokesperson and say, man, you know, listen, this is wrong. I, one thing I'm not going to do is advocate for guns, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Why not? Why not do that? Because well, it, it, you know, Keith, he, you know, he's the one who signed his his, his name on that contract. He's the one who who agreed to all the terms on that NBA contract, and 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 so all of that just kind of went out the door. Ms. Rand, I want to go back. You brought up something about the the '94 uh, Arkansas Razorback team, mm-hmm. black coach, mm-hmm. Coach Nolan Richardson. Mm-hmm. Do you think? And there's a lot of things that these coaches know that are going on in their programs, whether it's in basketball, football, that they turn a blind eye to. Mm-hmm. The the assistant coaches, even the head coaches. Absolutely. With that situation there, and this just goes back to some of these coaches is about winning games. This is not, it's not about uh, educating these young black kids who are coming from high school into uh, a college campus, and now all of a sudden, here you are, you're on the the highest uh, the level in basketball, winning a college championship, and your etiquette is out the, the door. You, you, you're just all over the place. And so it, it now reminds me of, of what Deion Sanders is doing at Colorado, what he did at Jackson State, that, hey, this is this is about you getting an education. This is about me knowing what you're doing, where you're doing it at, and who you're doing it with. But just to go back, do you kind of see some of that back in '94, where maybe Coach he had to have known, you know, and and some of his assistants had to have known that some of these boys are out here doing some things that they shouldn't be doing. But you know. One of the things my coaches, you know, they can't watch them day and night. And one of the things sure. that I, I did, you know, I do know about Coach Richardson. Now, he had a love for those boys. You know, they say, you know, how hard he was on them, uh, all that. And I remember the day he was up here with those boys doing the uh, uh, parade. And he kept his eyes on it. He kept saying um, he don't want them in the city. He didn't want them, you know, uh, more or less running wild or whatever, because here he is an African-American coach here. He, uh, 99% of the players were black players. He didn't want them to get in trouble and so forth. But, you know, I think it goes uh, true. The coach can only do so much. The professors can do so much. But I think it go all the way to the top. Um, 
you know, because everything is, is, is built around money, money for the institution. Everything is institutionalized. OK, oh, yeah. whether it's black, white or whatever, just like in some of the, a lot of the white colleges and institutions or whatever. So I think it's how how they buy into it or whatever. You know, I feel that as as much as and all the things also that Coach Richardson also was going through himself as an African-American coach or whatever, you know, he was under a lot of scrutiny uh, to have those kids perform at a certain level. I'm sure of that because, you know, once again, you talked about contracts. All I was saying on that, and I know everybody's, uh, res- what people do in their lives is their responsibility, okay? Everyone has to pay for what ultimately what they do. But I'm just saying, sometimes we build them up, we put them on those pedestals, and when they fall, um, you know, and we don't let them completely fall. Sometimes we always have a safety net. Uh, what happened with Jar the first time? It was like uh, a pat on the hand. Don't do that anymore or whatever. But were those really the ramifications that he should have received at that particular time? One of the things that, you know, I wanted to, to sort of address uh, chiefs, and I know uh, you all have done this and watched many people do this. I was fortunate to go through both the uh, the uh, City of Little Rock Police uh, uh, Citizen Academy and the FBI Citizen Academy. I believe every resident needs to go through those because you learn so much what happened. But one of the things that I want to address was the time when we did the assimilation. When we uh, were put in a position where we had to make a decision just as a lay person, you know, they gave us a scenario of you know, uh, what was going on, whether it was a drug house, whether it was a known assailant in that house or whatever. And we had to make that quick decision as to uh, what should be done. I remember, and I felt so bad, Chiefs, because we gave, we got some of the information on what was going on in that one particular house. Uh, but we had to make a split decision um, as far as an assailant in the house. And I remember shooting uh at someone i thought was an assailant coming around the corner and the person i shot coming around this corner was a child in that assimilation wow yes because a split decision was made um uh but the difference is i had uh, what five minutes of training Mm -hmm. as opposed to someone going through you know what i'm saying somebody going through uh, yes, exactly. Years and years of time. Uh, but yeah. I want to say this. Um, first of all, I feel very uncomfortable because, and I still, I, I won't handle a gun right now because what happened to my son? I feel really uneasy about a gun. I've had guns given to me from loved ones. My dad died, left guns, whatever, you know, gave the gun to my brother. Um, other things have happened. I, I, I just truly believe if you have a gun, and it's loaded. In any situation arrive, you're going to use it. You hear a noise on your deck late at night. What you going to do? Mm-hmm. You might. My son may have forgotten his, his key and come around through the back. My son may sh- be shot. Okay. So I just believe that guns, if you have one available, you're going to use it. I just, and, and assault weapons, assault weapons are just for that. They meant to kill people. How do you walk around with an assault weapon other than this is what your intentions are? Yeah. And, I, I and can't see otherwise. Yeah. And it's a weapon that's used 
by the military. In war. In, in war. Oh, in war. But you yeah. know, many of us believe that we're at war, right? Yeah. Oh, there yeah. are people who believe they're at war. You know, I'm looking at some of the verdicts that are coming down right now from the January 6th event, okay? And some of the things that folks are saying, I mean, as sick as they are, okay, many things are sick that's being said, but people believe that they're at war. They're not the only ones who believe that they're at war. Yeah. People exactly. believe right now we're going through a civil war and they must be armed. They have to be armed. And yeah. that that scares me. You know, we're living in a we've gone back. We've gone to a shootout at the OK Corral yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, Keith and, and, and Ms. Rain, I got to this. Your comments are, are spot on because this next video I'm going to show is, is to me is going to get to the heart. Of, of our uh, podcast topic tonight uh, as we talk about what is the love of, of guns, but to take it even a step further, what is the love of guns in the black community mm -hmm. on black on black crime? After 72 people were shot in one weekend in the city of Chicago, that city's mayor is calling for everyone there to work together. And Jenna, that violent weekend is also shining a spotlight on another issue. And it's an issue some don't talk about. Who is killing these black victims? Not whites, not the police, but other blacks. Look at that smile, he ready for school. KG Wilson bears a heavy cross, literally. And this cross is about 400 pounds. And figuratively. <sighs> Sometime I feel alone. Sometime I feel alone. Alone, responding to a silent call for help. KG's past is embedded in Chicago's present. This weekend, 72 people were shot and at least 13 were killed. KG's heart is heavy. The violence here and the violence in Chicago, back home in Chicago. What it's, my mission has been for 15 years now is the focus on us. Um, and when I mean people of color, it's something that is kept a secret. Uh, and Many times it's connected to, to stop snitching. Snitches get stitches. Yes. Yes. And the ones that don't get snitched on continue to hurt and kill and uh, terrify and destroy our community. No arrests have been made in any of Chicago's weekend incidents. 15 years ago, Wilson and his son, now peace activists, escaped Chicago's violence. They moved to Minneapolis. I just left everything there and jumped on the first bus and came here with no place to go or nothing. It was about saving my son's life. Tanisha Taylor Bell is about saving lives too. I can't save every young person in the city. I wish I could. It was the city that raised me, a city that I love, a city that also took uh, my father's life. Uh, he was shot um, as well by teenagers there, ages 15, 19, and 21 when I was just five years old. Bell says teens like the ones who killed her father were the inspiration behind a scholarship foundation bearing her dad's name. We provide scholarships, mentorships, and life skills seminars to young men uh, who are middle class, uh, sometimes fall through the gaps. You know, they may be the C student, um, and oftentimes they don't have opportunities or resources to them. Mentoring addresses the topic some ignore. You don't see these killings in mass numbers like this and other races. You know, how can we expect someone else to respect us if we don't respect ourselves? So the black on black crime that is plaguing 
not only Chicago, Detroit, Minneapolis, so many cities across the nation, but you have to start at home. You have to take care of home. You know, you have to make sure that our young people respect our race. From her office in Atlanta to street corners in Minneapolis, both Bell and Wilson, Chicago natives, are doing their part. If I have to stand by myself in front of a firing squad, I'm going to be that one who let the youth in the community know that this is right. We can't be quiet about it anymore. According to the FBI's uniform crime reporting data for 2016, 90.1% of black victims of homicide were killed by other blacks. But the story doesn't stop there. 83.5% of whites were killed by other whites. Some will argue this data shows this is a truth across racial boundaries. Tanisha, who you just heard from in this story, worked as an executive producer for CNN for 13 years, and she simply said it was haunting her as she would write those stories about gun violence in Chicago. I, and it seems to be a problem that, that can, is just not going away because we see holiday weekend reports out of Chicago, 60, 70, 80. It, it's unfathomable that my heart breaks, but certainly goes out to those people that are doing the work on the streets. That's incredible stuff. Yeah, they're in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Adrian. You know, and I found that video, uh, Keith, and to me, it really uh, touched on a something that's like, you know, the, the guy said, a secret, you know, Miss Rayner. It's a secret in the black community. There's a lot of secrets in the black community that, that are not really talked about, that should be talked about. Black on black crime. You know, that was a, a pretty, that was a, an old clip from a, a a horrible weekend in Chicago where over 70 something people were shot in that weekend alone and 13 people died. But, you know, we can, we can, we can talk a lot about when a, a white officer kills a black man or a black woman, which we should and definitely need to do that. But I don't see the Ben Crumps. I don't see the Al Sharptons. I don't see all these high profile people who are running to the mic when a police officer shoots somebody. I don't see them running to the mics to talk about the black on black crime in Little Rock or Chicago or Memphis. They only come out when Tyree Nichols gets killed uh, or you know George Floyd gets killed. To me, that's something within our community that we really need to do a much better job at yeah. in, in having that conversation. You know, um, Chief Green, um, and even more, I guess, heartbreaking is when you hear those statistics and even you see them on a um, board. On a screen. Your yeah. child. Your child is a part of it's that. It's one of the statistics that I remember yeah. um, several years ago, uh, we also started the Black on Black Crime Coalition, um, trying to get the entire community involved because it's more than just African-Americans that are affected. We did it from every standpoint, from um, law enforcement, from the media, because, you know, they do a lot to perpetuate, you know, what goes on. Mm -hmm. um, every aspect of it, try to bring them around the table, faith-based, so forth, to have the conversation. There are so many people say, I've been there, done that. I'm, you know, they get complacent. Um, you know, I believe that so many people don't really feel that black lives really matter. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we hear it all the time. Every little thing happens, especially when someone of a different race kills an African-American or someone who's either black or brown. But when African-Americans do it, you know, um, uh, you know, just drug deal gone bad or a family problem or, you know, mental health issue. I mean, the list just go on and on. Um, people don't really want to get involved. Like, you know, she alluded to snitches get stitches and things of that nature. But then you got a community that's still left in shambles. Um, uh, Chief, you know, before uh, you left Little Rock, you remember the the homicide that occurred with the black female with all the children, uh, you know, yes. and uh, what happens in, in, it's just like all around the country, it's a shooting today. It may be two shootings today. Uh, something else come up and it supersedes that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Those are forgotten. Then something else like over the last week, I know um, in between Little Rock and Pine Bluff, we probably had uh, probably five, um youth under the age of 18 that's been murdered here right here in little rock okay we had one just convicted of murder um that you know from a murder of several years ago at a school you know 40 years yeah you know we all deal with uh that low-hanging fruit on the tree but we don't go down to the root of the problem we're not addressing the problems at all and every time a mother or a loved one see a video like you just showed a few minutes ago, you know, mm-hmm. about the black on black crime. Cause to me, um, it's, it's what we need to do as African-Americans, as black Americans, as whatever we call people of color, how we need to address it, how we need to work within our own community. You know, we always talking about corporate economics, keeping our dollars in our community. Well, how do you keep those lives? In the community. Are you, yeah. How do you keep those individuals? We need to work on that individually as well as collectively. But what I was told, and sometimes still, um, people still say this to me, you have a big job. You got a big job. Not we have a big job. We Not we. But you right. have a big job. And, you know, they're not, you know, I just look at them. Do you really believe it? And one of the things, too, when we had the Black on Black Crime Coalition and, you know, uh, our organization, the Center for Healing Hearts and Spirit, we're on the umbrella of the what we call the Women's Council on African-American Affairs. Inc. Now, what do you think that say to other races? I used to get calls all the time. I know you're working on this Black on Black crime, but when are you going to do something about this Black on White, you know? Once again... We have lost the focus. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, if I can get people who look like me to care about people who look like me, mm-hmm. they're going to care about people who look like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line. But we got to first care enough about ourselves. So in, in so many cases, I don't think they believe that black lives really matter, you know especially when there are all these crimes are being committed on a daily basis over something as stupid as drugs or well, basketball games basketball yeah, or, or, or somebody dissed me or uh, another female or you know things of that nature not yeah. at all yeah well it's just like you know the the shooting that took place a couple of uh, almost over a month now 
in in the little small town in, in Mississippi, uh, where there was some type of a birthday party. Was that? I think that was in Mississippi. It was in Mississippi. Uh, no, yeah. it was in uh, it was in Alabama. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Where you know where predominantly you know all black youth were at a at a at a birthday party, and 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 none of those kids, none of those uh, young men who have been arrested were from that that community. They were not. And, and so, again, it just goes back to what's behind the love of guns. And then also it kind of goes back to these kids have resources to buy these weapons. Nobody's mm -hmm. just not they're not just giving them to them. They're buying these weapons. Well, that's so, not true, Virgil. Well, well, well I say this and I think you, you may. Get a gun. You can get a gun on a trade of some weed or something. So, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, 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 yeah. But in, in there again, you know, it kind of goes back to something, you know, Keith, that you, you and I both, you know, have talked about on the podcast show when we go back to the war on, on drugs mm -hmm. back with when Clinton was was president, you know, and all of a sudden this heavy federal hand come down on three strikes and you're out. Uh, and I, you know, I think Reagan started that and then Clinton kind of picked it back up with some other with some other federal uh, legislation. But when you look at, OK, here's a big push about the war on drugs. And then when you really get into it deeper, black people wasn't bringing the drugs in from South America. They didn't bring the drugs in, in South Central L.A. They didn't bring the drugs into to, to Oakland. Now, all of a sudden, gun drugs and guns are coming into the black community. Uh, and this has been going on for decades. Mm -hmm. and, and so it, it kind of, you know, as we sit here and we talk about this, it kind of it brings you to the re reality of just how big this is and the fact that we've had now what a lot of people didn't think that they would see in their lifetime, a black president. Uh, we've had black powerful black legislators and none of these nothing has been able to change and so it kind of it, it makes you i've heard somebody say you know they made the, this comment they just want us to kill each other well but there is something we can do to, to prevent that well they say it's a conspiracy this is yeah it's that conspiracy theory I said, well, quit buying into the conspiracy if it's in fact a conspiracy. It's like any other uh, risk factors that we lead in, you know, homicides and, and substance abuse, all those things. You, in fact, say it's a conspiracy. Well, I say get educated. Uh, educated uh, community do better, okay? Um, now, there are some things that we probably won't be able to change because we're not uh, the people in power. But there are some things that we can do from the chairs in which, which we sat. Um, you know, one of the things, that, and I know we need all these youth programs out here for the babies. I know this. But they're not the ones that are committing the crime. We're not getting to the people who are actually out there committing the crimes. Um, well, in our city, I remember they were saying, well, we're going to do something about, you know, the homeless population, trying to get the homeless population. At one point, they were talking about giving them bus passes uh, uh, to get them off the street. Well, all you did was put them on a bus and let them ride from one place to the next. What did you do? You didn't You didn't even really change their station. Uh, it was only a temporary fix. And that's all we're doing. With everything that we're doing with crime, they're all Band-Aids. 
Right. Uh, it sounds good at the time. It's a good political soundbite at the time because that's what we deal with now. Yeah. You know, how do we get past this to the next election? And then when the election is over, we all go back to where we were from the beginning. And a lot of times we take steps backwards. We and do. we see that in a lot of our states. You know, we, we talked about violence being a, a, a um, health health, uh, a public health issue. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and you have to deal with it that way. Uh, we, we're not. Like, it's like you said, Miss Joyce, we're, we're dealing with the low-hanging fruit. We're not dealing with the, the seeds, uh, the, main, the, the, the seeds that are going into the ground and that's sprouting that, that, that fruit. Because if you don't have that tree, that root, you ain't going to have that fruit. So, you know, at the end of the day, how do we get people to realize that this is a public health issue um, how do we, we, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of these platforms. It's like you said, I'm tired of these platforms, but everybody skates that, you, you know, it, 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 everybody skates the fact that, man, we, we are leading the nation in gun violence deaths. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, Chicago, you're not tired of that. Little Rock, you're not tired of that. Memphis, you're not tired of that. I mean, you know, Atlanta is this not, are you not tired of that? small cities that are predominantly African-American. Are you not tired of that? What, what can we do with, you know, what, what can we do? And why is that not the discussions that are taking place daily? Um, you know, why do, why do Ms. Rayner and Chief Green and Chief Humphrey, why do we take the hits when we state that, man, we got a, we, we got a, we got a gun problem in our communities where Kids don't fight anymore. They shoot. People don't yeah. argue anymore. They shoot. People, everybody walks around with a gun. The big thing now is walking around with a gun in your waistband and showing it at somebody, you know, hanging out a window with a gun. How okay, is that? Keep the pants up. Yeah. You can't, so, so my thing is, what are we, why is it wrong for us to say we want, there's a way to fix that. And then everybody, like you said, it's a conspiracy theory. Are you just part of that conspiracy? This ain't, this ain't what happened because it's, it's getting old. It's embarrassing. It's getting old, it's frustrating, it's, an embarrass it's embarrassing. I really want I, something you started here, Chief, and I thought it was an excellent idea. And I want to see more of it, not only here, but across the country. When you did the ceasefire initiative, when you went from door to door, knocking on doors, getting Chief Haskins, Chief Haskins, yes, yeah. Yes, getting people to commit to put the guns down or, or, you know, um, think about their neighbor, you know, going from door to door, they make people think, well, number one, they also make people think that you care enough about them to even do it. Yeah. Um, uh, but you don't see that everybody's in their own little silos. They don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, they're out here. Do <laughs> you remember the look on those folks faces when we were knocking on doors and, right. you know, it look just the fact that you were out there that you cared. Right. You know, and it's like it, to me, those are more of the things that we need to do. Being out there, touching people, showing we care, seeing what their needs are. But we don't give them alternatives. We tell them don't do something like kids. Just say no. Well, why should they say yes? Give yeah. them a reason to say yes. Yeah, you know, Miss Rainer, we're coming up on the last few minutes of the podcast show, and I put a 
a comment in uh, uh, up on the screen that says, uh, you know, asking out those who are listening to the podcast show, what's what's your thoughts about guns? Do we talk more about the Second Amendment more than 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 gun violence? But you know, the the flip side to that is, you know, we have a, a lot of people who are listening and watching the podcast show now who will listen to our rebroadcast of the podcast show. But we we should this should be where there should be a couple of hundred people on here uh, listening, input, having uh, uh, a conversation about what's going on in their communities. And again, because everybody is, we're all so busy, everybody is doing this and doing that. Uh, and as you stated, they're in their own little silos. And I want to say this because, you know, as Chief Humphrey said, you know, we keep it real on this podcast show. And I'm pretty sure you've listened. The one people, the one group that I don't think is really a part of this conversation, but they sure can get up on a Sunday morning uh -oh. and scream and shout uh -oh. and ask for your money, but you don't see them out doing what Chief Humphrey did, knocking on doors with the police chief or knocking on doors without the police chief or just coming out saying, hey, you have some but you don't have a group. You don't have that mass number of a unified uh, structure of, of pastors. I don't uh -oh. care if you're black or white uh -oh. coming together. Uh -oh. And I think this is, this is a time where somebody is going to hear this and, you know, man, if you can get up on Sunday and scream and shout and, and ask for people to, 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 for their payday tithes and all, you need to be up here doing this screaming and shouting with, with mothers who have lost their uh, their sons and daughters, and not just because it's somebody who go to your church, because to me, this is this is a problem, whether you black or white. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. I know we had a few um, when we did that. You know, we there were there yeah. were a few, yeah, but there were a precious few uh, in the in the mix, and mm -hmm. it's true. They have the widest sphere of influence on Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. uh, one of the things, and, uh -oh. and I'm going to get off here if I say this, um, every year during National Crime Victims Rights Week, we ask, we send letters to pastors across the state, city of Little Rock, to do a plea from the pulpit to talk to their members mm -hmm. about crime, about be cognizant of what's going on, be cognizant of what's going on in your house, talk to your loved ones about, we have, we sit out hundreds and hundreds of letters. We get a few back to say, I'll do it Sunday, okay? Look, I tell them, you have the widest sphere of influence in anyone, and many people will do it because the pastor say so. Exactly. And then the other piece of this is, and I'm gonna stop, we keep talking about the Second Amendment. Do you know how many people don't even know what the Second Amendment is? Okay, number one, they don't have a clue. We can talk about it all day long. And then the last part of it is what happens on TV. Do you know how many people don't watch TV? How many young people? They don't. They don't watch TV in no form of fashion. That's right. Everything is here. They said, I don't want to hear the news. It's too gruesome. It's too whatever. But it's reality. You need to know. Maybe if you know and hear, you'll care, and it'll move you to action. Yeah, but they say it's too gruesome. But 
they'll run down the street to take their cell phone out to record somebody who's just been in, in, in a drive-by shooting. Come on now. Yeah. Well, you know, Ms. Rainer, I am so honored to have, have met you and, and for Chief Humphrey to reach out to you. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, do you know? No, no. This is, you know, you told me you've been in Little Rock for 45 years. I'm going to ask you if you know somebody that I know uh, who uh, who's been involved in, in stuff in Little Rock. Um, uh, Yvonne Burke. Does that name sound familiar? Yvonne Burke, she used to work at the uh, Criminal Justice Institute in Little Rock. I, 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 I must confess something. I know a lot of people, and I don't know about the name. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that's awful. Uh, I see them well, all the time, it, and somebody said, what's their name? I, I don't know. Yeah, I've yeah. been in meetings. I, I sit with so many people that I don't always know them by name. When I see them, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, no well, and oh, the yeah. reason the reason I said it because you remind me a lot of her. Uh, you you do, and 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 so you know I'm just glad that uh, Chief Humphrey was able to, uh, you know, for you to give us some of, of your time on on this uh, always, always afternoon, and, and, and oh. we we would definitely love to have you back on because this is a very important topic uh, yeah. that that we sh uh, that we're talking about. Let me, let me say this before we close. So so Miss Joyce is one of these people that if she likes you, she likes you. Um, she, she doesn't pull punches with you, but she's one of these people that, um, you know, as a, even though I retired, I'm, I'm not there anymore. She still has a major influence in my life and, and we're still very good friends and we text from time to time. Uh, so we, the, what you see us doing here is, is not, this is, this is real. So this is not like I haven't talked to her in over a year. This is, you know, we, we, we talk and this is who she is. If you if you don't want anybody to be real, then you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to mess with Miss Rain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. that's just facts. She's yeah. gonna be real. Okay. So, Miss Rain, we definitely uh, thank you once again, and we thank everybody for tuning in to to this uh, episode of the podcast show. And want to remind you, if you miss any parts of this podcast show, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, we're on uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Go to our Facebook page. Go to our Facebook page and uh, uh, like our Facebook page, follow our Facebook page. And uh, uh, let me get uh, Ms. Randa back on because I think we lost her. I came in. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, again, I was just, you know, if you missed this podcast show, check out our rebroadcast show, follow us on our Facebook page, Twitter. And, uh, uh, you know, next week we're going to be back on uh, again, talking about another uh, informative topic related to policing in America. And ask the, ask the listeners out there, we ask you yeah. all some of the topic that you would yeah. like us to, to talk about. And, uh, you know, we, we might reach out and have one of those, uh, in, uh, one of those listeners on the, on the show. Yeah. Just, we want to get their input of, uh, of what they, um, what they sent us. So yeah. I think, um, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our, you can reach out to us uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, you can also reach out to us on our, our, on our email. That's youandthelaw2020 uh, at gmail.com. That's youandthelaw2020 at gmail.com. An email that my co-host uh, doesn't know, uh, but he should know. So, you know, uh, man, you, you really need to start. I need, I need, you need to start paying me because, man, I'm. All bad. right, everybody, have a good night. We'll see y'all next week. Miss Joyce, see you later because he's not Bye -bye. talking about it. Great meet you too. All right.
All right. Y'all have a good night. We'll see you again next Thursday on You and the Law Podcast Show.